Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. To Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I, Billy, if you could, if you could just tone that jacket down a little bit over there, I'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> Have you ever wondered who is the world's strongest person? You know, you don't have to guess. There are competitions that uh, figure all this out for us. I want to introduce to you this man on the screen. Uh, his name is Hafthor Bjornsson. He is the winner of the 2018 World's Strongest Man competition. Now, as you look, I mean, he is a mountain of a man. Just in case you can't tell exactly what he's doing in that photo there, he is pulling a Lockheed C-130 Hercules military transport aircraft, which weighs 38 down a runway. Man, this dude, he's no joke. He's, he's from Iceland. He's six foot nine inches tall. He weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of 420 pounds. The funny thing is that he just married a woman who's five foot two. <laughs> you, ought to, you ought to see the wedding pictures, man. He, he just carried her, picked her up and carried her across the threshold. You know, it's no big deal at all there. Half doors, you might imagine, can move some massive weights. For instance, in 2015, he broke a record that had stood for a thousand years. It's, it's this Viking strength record uh, where he picked up this 32-foot-long log. This log weighed 1,433 pounds, and he carried it five steps. But that's not the least of it. Check out this video from 2018. Here's what he did in 2018. That's him, by the way. Man, that hurt me just looking at it. Oh my goodness, 1,041 pounds. And you know what? He just broke that record two weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio. He, he, he deadlifted 1,045 pounds. He beat his world record by four pounds there in the, the what they call the elephant bar deadlift. All right? So 
That's impressive. I mean, I can't imagine moving. I can't even count that how much less pick it up. My goodness. But beloved, I submit to you this morning that it pales in comparison to the weight that Jesus Christ moved to save us from our sin. Amen? Now think about that just for a moment, okay? We talk about, we talk about sin being a burden, all right? On the cross, Jesus bore the weight of not only your sins, but the sins of the entire world. That is a heavy load. The, the weight of your own sins would crush you individually, okay? But again, all of the sins of the world. And that's what Jesus did for us. And in the resurrection, he grabbed those sins, lifted, exploded that weight up, and then threw it into the sea where it is remembered no more. It didn't crush him. He crushed it. Amen? That's what our Savior Jesus Christ did. Therefore, our gospel is a weighty gospel, and it deserves a weighty response. The title of today's message is Gospel Worthy. Gospel Worthy. And our text today is calling us as Christians to live a life worthy of the weight, worthy of the value that Jesus bore. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Our text is from Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30. We'll be expositing this text today preaching it and applying it. It says this, Paul, uh, God through Paul says to the Philippians and to us, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that I saw, or that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together, Eastwood. Father, we thank you for a chance to lift up our hearts to you this morning and ask your assistance. God, we know that unless you make the text clear to us, we will not understand it rightly. So we need your Holy Spirit to come and move. And not only will we not understand it rightly, but we won't be able to apply it, to put it into practice without your Holy Spirit. And so we beg you, Father, send your Holy Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and move in us to bring about a good response and an understanding to your word today, Father. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice who has yet to repent and trust Christ, I pray today would be the day they would see Jesus and turn to him in repentance and faith and love. It's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, as you grab your seat there, look down at verse 27, and I want you to put your finger on the word worthy. If you, if you, if you see it and your finger's there, say, I got it. All right, you're there. The word worthy there, it translates the Greek word axios, which means having the weight of another thing of like value. It means that it's worth as much as something else. In other words, just picture in your mind that word there. Because when it says worthy, it doesn't really give the fullness of what the Greek says here. Just picture in your mind a, a, a balancing scale. And on the left side is an ounce of gold, okay? And then on the right side is another ounce of gold that is putting the scale in perfect balance. So on one side is the weight and the value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's calling us 
in our lives to reflect that, that our lives would be lived in such a manner that we equate, that we live out, that we reflect the weight and the value of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a life, y'all, that is befitting that heavy weight, that high value of what Jesus did for you and me. Here's today's takeaway. What I want you to walk out with today and what I believe the Word of God would have us to walk out with is this. Live to honor the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when you hear the word gospel, you should hear life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And so we're to live a life that honors that immense value. But how do we do it? How do we live that kind of life? How how do we live a life that honors that? Well, our text points us to four ways this morning that you and I can live this out. First is that you and I are to rejoice while undeserving God brought you good news. So rejoice that while undeserving God brought you good news. Now to be just completely transparent with you that principle is not directly in the text, okay? But I bring that to your attention this morning because if I don't say this, it would be easy for someone to misunderstand what the text is saying, okay? Because if we're not careful, it could confuse us. Look at verse 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, some may hear that and think, Oh my goodness, to be saved, I have to make myself worthy of the gospel. In other words, I have to live a life that deserves the gospel? I have to live a life that, that, that deserves to be saved? And I want to be clear this morning, that's not what God's saying here. Because, beloved, you and I would never, ever deserve salvation. In fact, based upon what you and I have done, uh, we, we clearly see here that, that we would receive nothing but condemnation. If we just take a quick look, a, a quick journey through the book of Romans, this truth becomes abundantly clear. And we just want to be wide open and transparent this morning to this, okay? Romans 3, verse 9 through 18, it paints this vivid picture of how lost you and I actually are in and of ourselves. It says, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Do you see that word there? Worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." That is what you and I are naturally by our sin nature. We are thoroughly, totally depraved, unworthy, undeserving of anything good from God. Romans 3.23 sums it up this way. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we didn't just fall short by a little. right? We didn't just miss the mark by a little bit. We missed it by a mile. We have fallen way short and have earned nothing but condemnation from God. In fact, to be more clear, we've earned death. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is what, church? Death. That's what you and I 
deserve, but I want to show you something that's absolutely amazing. Absolutely astounding, man. It is staggering. The truth is, according to Scripture, here's the good part. Despite what we deserve, God's chosen to give us what we don't deserve. Amen? You see it in Romans 5. Again, walking through Romans, verses 6 through 8. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we just insert the word unworthy there, or undeserving, for while we were still undeserving, Christ died for those who were undeserving. Praise God that he didn't say, listen, y'all clean yourselves up. And when y'all earn this, come back and I'll save you, right? No, no, he came while we were still weak. He came while we were still ungodly. He came while we were still sinners. Christ died for us in that moment, in that state, and has brought us good news. So I say to you this morning, Eastwood, rejoice. You and I should bust hell wide open, but praise be to God and the mercy and grace of God that he has instead brought us good news news through Jesus Christ. That's what makes the good news good news. We don't get what we deserve. We're so unworthy. We're so undeserving of the grace of God. That's what makes it grace. And that's just how awesome our God is. He's saying basically here, now that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, by grace, you have been made a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's who he's talking to here. He's talking to those who are already in the kingdom of God. He's not talking to those who are lost and saying, hey, you lost people, live a life worthy of the gospel. No, no. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us who are already in the kingdom. And he says, now that you're in the kingdom, why don't y'all act like it? Why don't y'all live a life that is worthy? Live to honor the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that got you into the kingdom. That begins, y'all, by realizing that you are so undeserving and rejoicing that despite all of that, God brought you good news. Secondly, this morning, to honor the immense value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to stand firm in unity. Stand firm in unity. Look again at verse 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit. That verb there, standing firm. Is, it's, it's a military term. It's borrowed from the military. I mean, you can just picture a military commander yelling out, Hold the line! Stand your ground! Stand firm, men, in the midst of the battle! Francis Chan and uh, Tony Morita, in their commentary in this text, they say this. They say the term, stand firm, indicates the determination of a soldier who stands his ground, not budging one inch from his post. You see, the Philippians, they were in a battle. They were in a war, right? A spiritual war, but nevertheless a war. It was a war for their hearts and for their minds. 
And this spiritual war had physical implications. You see, the Philippians were being attacked by those around them, the pagans around them, and even the Jews around them for believing in Jesus. And they were tempted from time to time to break ranks, to run away, to abandon the fight. But Paul says here that in doing so, that would not be worthy of a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning, Eastwood. Did Christ back down when he was attacked? Huh? No way! Did he, did he cower when he was reviled? Never! Did Christ run away when the heat of the battle got hot? No way, man. No, no, he stood his ground. He looked sin, death, and the devil square in the face, and he slayed them. And that's exactly what you and I are called to do when the enemies of God come our way. We are to stand our ground. Not slay them. That's God's job. (laughs) Right? But we stand our ground. We stand firm. But we don't just stand firm. We stand firm in unity, the Bible says here. We stand firm together. You know, we may feel overwhelmed. We may feel outnumbered from time to time. That's okay. God can do a lot with a little, can he? Remember the story of Gideon? Or maybe you've heard about the famous battle of Thermopylae. Maybe you saw that movie about, back about 10 years ago called 300. Anybody see 300? I never saw it, but I know what it's about, right? In 480 BC, this alliance of Greek city-states led by King Leonidas of Sparta, he fought against the mighty Persian army. The battle took place in the pass of, uh, in the pass of Thermo- uh, Thermopylae in central Greece, and they were vastly outnumbered. The Greeks were vastly outnumbered, but they held this Persian army for three days. They held them off for three days. And it's one of history's most famous last stands. The small force led by King Leonidas, including his famous group of 300 Spartans, they blocked the only road through which this massive army of Persia's Xerxes the Great could pass. They stuck together and they did a lot with a little. And I say to you this morning, church, that's exactly what you and I are to do right here at Eastwood Baptist Church. You see, the Bible tells us that the battle the Philippians were facing, it's not stopped. It's not stopped. It still rages today. Amen? It still rages today against God and against the people of God. Yet you and I are called to hold the line, to not back down, to stand firm together. And I say to you this morning, particularly March 17th, 2019, that's going to be especially important for us in the coming weeks, in the coming months as we move in to this interim period. You see, the temptation will be for some to just give up and and to go your own separate way. Some will say, well, my pastor's gone, so I'm gone. Others will be tempted not to splinter and go your own separate way, but you'll be tempted to to divide up the church into these special interest factions, and you'll be tempted to try to throw your weight around to get your own way in this interim period. When there's a power vacuum, so to speak, someone tries to fill it. But I say this morning, that would be unwise. That would be unhelpful, 
And that would be an absolute shame. Either one, whether you leave or you try to divide up into special interest factions here in the church, we must, let me say it again, we must stand firm together. Amen? We have to, y'all. I appeal to you, along with Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I call you this morning to keep at the forefront of your minds the beauty of unity, as depicted in Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls uh, on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I not only want to remind you of the beauty, but also want to remind you of the safety in unity. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Eastwood, do not fall prey to the temptation to run away or to divide up. Listen to me. The same mission, vision, all the things that we've been preaching that were here on March 10th, 2019 are the same on March 17th, 2019. We are going forward. We are not going backwards. Stand firm in unity and honor the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Third this morning, to honor that, that immense value of the gospel. Third, you need to strive together for the faith. Now, we're not simply standing our ground. We're not going to give, but we're also not going to stand still. We're to take ground, according to our text here. Philippians 1.27, look at it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, then notice this, church, they're not just standing firm with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's not retreating. That's not standing still. That's going forward. The word translated here as striving side by side is the Greek word athaleo. Now let me take off the prefix there and just say athaleo. What does that sound like? What English word? Let me say it again. Athaleo. Athleo, yeah, athletes, okay? March Madness, so it's just around the corner. Anybody excited about that? <laughs> I know we're already done with the SEC tournament, right? Most of us. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, there are going to be 64-plus teams this week who are going to begin to try to do one thing. They're all going to be trying to do the same thing, and that is to win the national championship. And guess which team is going to do that? The team who has the best job of coming together as a team. 
right? They must play side by side and strive together for the common goal. And the church is no different. We have a goal. It's spelled out for us. We have marching orders right there in Matthew 28. 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's our goal. Those are our marching orders. Those are our national championships, okay? But we'll never reach this goal. We will never take ground, even here in our local mission field, if we don't strive together, side by side, for the advancement of the faith. We need each other, amen? We do, y'all. We're a team. That's why Jesus didn't send out anybody alone. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't send out anybody alone. We see there in Luke 10, verse 1, when he sent out 72 disciples. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. Why not one by one? I mean, he could have covered more ground, right? If they had went in 72 different directions instead of 36 different directions. Check my math there, okay? But why did Jesus do that? Well, We find out the reason in the following verses. Look at verse 2 and 3 in Luke 10. It says, And Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus basically says, I'm sending you out two by two because, number one, the work is hard. And you're going to need someone there to encourage you. And then secondly, not only is the work hard, but the work is dangerous. There are wolves out there who are looking to eat you up. And I say to you this morning, praise God. God didn't just give us two by two here at Eastwood. We have 1,500 people who call this church their home between our two campuses, guys. That's amazing. Just imagine with me for a moment what God could do through us if we would only get serious about engaging, about striving together for the advancement of the faith. I'm just going to tell you right now, Eastwood is not hitting the pause button for the next year. No way. No way. We we still have that lost and dying world out here. We are advancing. We're going forward. And we're excited to go forward. Just consider what might happen, church, if we began to value the advancement of the faith right here in Warren County and to the ends of the earth in a way that matched the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let me say that again in a different way. What if our intensity balanced out the value. Would we see different results right here in our own community? We certainly would. I believe we would. Beloved, so let's aim. Let's aim for our intensity in sharing the gospel to match the immense value of the gospel itself. Strive together for the faith. And then finally this morning, to honor the immense value of the gospel, 
refuse to be frightened away by the opposition. Refuse to be frightened away by the opposition. Listen, opposition's gonna come. It's gonna come. In fact, as we get nearer and nearer to the return of Jesus, the opposition is going to be cranked up. It's already here, and it's being cranked up, but you ain't seen anything yet, church. But a life that honors the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ refuses to be frightened away by opposition. Look at verse 28 through 30 in our text. Philippians 1, 28 through 30. It says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Listen, if anybody knew opposition, Paul knew opposition. I mean, you read the book of 2 Corinthians and you see all the things that happened to him. And even right here toward the end of his life, Paul only lived about three more years after this. This was probably written in about year 62. He was sitting in a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard. He knew opposition. But he said it, doesn't, it shouldn't scare us. In fact, and this seems antithetical to everything you ever hear possibly outside of these walls, is that it shouldn't just not frighten us. It should encourage us. And let me say that again. Opposition should encourage you. Paul says it's a clear sign of your salvation. If you're in Jesus, it's a clear sign when the world opposes you, when you're standing for Jesus, that you are indeed saved. Just imagine for a moment if the world cheered everything we did and everything we believed. What kind of church would we have? <laughs> Not a godly church, right? We would have a worldly church. And sadly, that's what many churches have become. They, they have pandered to the world. They've pandered to the culture so much that there's no longer any difference. But when you stand up and you face opposition, that's reminding you that you are indeed different, that you have indeed turned from the world and from its thinking and from its prizes. Now, we shouldn't try to make the world mad just to make them mad. We don't want to do it just to see them squirm. But when it comes to either making the world mad or God mad, who would you rather make mad? The world, right? Forget the world. It's going to pass away. God is the one that we want to please. So if the world is at all opposed to you as a Christian and as a church, don't worry. It's a sign of your salvation. And it's also, the Bible says here, a sign of their destruction. It is a sign of their destruction. Now, many people, particularly in the political realm, they like to talk about being on the right side of history. And they usually use this phrase to bring in sort of ungodly thinking, right? They want to use that, that phrase as a wedge to convince you to go along with their ungodly thinking. Now, let me just remind you, the right side of history is which side? Well, listen, I've read the end. Guess which side wins? God. So guys, don't worry about being on the right side of history. Align yourself with God. And everybody in opposition to him 
loses. So you better align yourself with God. But know this, in this life, when you align yourself with God, that will indeed bring suffering. But that shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you in the least because God tells us here in the text that if you're in Christ, you've been granted two things. Now the word that's translated granted here is actually the word charizomai, which literally means graced. You have been graced two things. First, it says that you have been graced to believe. As 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is by God's grace that you believed and are in Jesus. But secondly, and this is going to seem like, no way, those two don't go together, Ben, but they do. Second, you have been graced to suffer for the sake of of Christ. That seems so strange to us American Christians. But the persecuted church around the world, they get it. They totally get it. Nick Ripkin, in his book, Insanity of Obedience, he writes this about the persecuted church out there. He says, much to our surprise, believers in in persecution did not ask us to pray that their persecution would cease. Instead, they begged us to pray that they would be obedient through their suffering. And that is a very different prayer. You see, the persecuted church around the world understands that they have been graced to suffer for Jesus. They they consider it an honor that they would suffer for Jesus. So don't be frightened by persecution or whatever it is when it comes Richard Wormbrand, in Victorious, in Victorious Faith, he wrote this. Because oftentimes, guys, when, when, when you continue to, to follow Jesus in the face of persecution, people will think that you're crazy, won't they? What are they doing? These guys are idiots. Why in the world won't they turn? Here's what he wrote. He said, there was once a fiddler who played so beautifully that everybody danced. A deaf man who could not hear the music considered them all insane. Those who are with Jesus in suffering hear this music to which the other men are deaf and they dance and do not care if they're considered insane. I say to you, Eastwood, keep dancing. Let the world throw slurs and stones and all those things at me and call you crazy, but keep dancing for God because you hear the music. First Peter 1.13 reminds us that we won't suffer long. In fact, he says that there's going to be grace that's going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day, our deliverer, our rescuer, is coming. First Peter 5.10 and 11 says, and after you have suffered for a, what does it say there? What's that next word? For a little. For a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen refuse church to be frightened away 
by opposition. And if you'll do these things, you will live to honor the immense value of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's my final prayer this morning. May your life powerfully reflect the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.